If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. I am Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie and it is my honor to welcome you to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, You are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? What are the rules about being a Scrooge, Holy One? Is it limited only to Christmas, or can it be applied in connection to other holidays? Yes, its origin comes from the infamous character in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, but for over a hundred years now, we've been using Scrooge as a common noun. We're asking because Valentine's Day is just a few days away and it's not all candy and flowers. Not all of us will celebrate with a night out. Not all of us will receive something chosen just for us or even something chosen just before the store closes. (laughs) Bah humbug. But it's not simply that some of us have no one to celebrate with. It's also that there are so many terrible and unthinkable things happening in the world. There are no more hospitals in Gaza. The hostages have been held now for over four months. We are debating whether an insurrectionist can be on the ballot. We are trying to put on a brave face for our friends and family who are in the thick of difficult treatment rehab, recovery. How can we possibly celebrate love in a world that is so hard on the heart? We know that the words of the song are true. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. But what Mother Teresa said is perhaps more fitting. What we need is to love without getting tired. Help us to not grow weary, Holy One. There is enough Scroogery in the world. Lift our hearts that we might notice the love around us. Be with us as we cultivate, tend, defend, and encourage it, not just for some, but for everyone, ourselves included. We pray in the name of Jesus, who said, 
that this is how they would know us. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 33. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Don't blink or you'll miss her. Simon's mother-in-law, that is. I would call her by her name, but Mark failed to write it down. She is mentioned in this story almost in passing, and most of the time her presence does not prompt any questions about her, but about her son-in-law, Peter, and it is no, who is known to us as Simon in this passage, but who is later renamed Peter by Jesus, hence Simon Peter. Simon Peter has a mother-in-law, which must mean he was married. <laughs> a married disciple. We don't think much about that reality when telling the story, but I have questions. <laughs> How long had Peter and his spouse been together? What kind of husband was Peter? What was Peter's spouse like? Was it an opposite attract match? Was Peter's mother-in-law happy when her daughter became engaged to Peter? A good Jewish boy from a good Jewish family? Maybe, she gushed. He's a partner with his older brother in the family fishing business, and the boys took it over from their father a few years ago. They've been making a nice profit ever since. Big hauls of fish every day and brisk sales at the market. Peter oversees the day-to-day -day operations, and Andrew takes care of the accounts. They call their business the A&P. The boomers laughed at that, and I'll explain it later. <laughs> Was the mother-in-law disappointed when Peter left the fishing business? That is what happened, of course, because we know the rest of the story. Jesus showed up at the lake and convinced a ragtag bunch of fishermen to follow him. Peter was one of those men. They go from the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, where Jesus teaches in the synagogue as one having authority, not as the scribes, and then heals the man said to have been possessed by a demon. As soon as they leave the synagogue, they go to Peter's house, only to find that Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Her illness is keeping her from the role of chair of the hospitality committee. <laughs> Mark's description of the healing is rather sparse, no conversation, no back and forth that is so common in other healing stories. Mark simply presents the problem and then Jesus' response to it. He took her by the hand and lifted her up. No special words, no long wait in the emergency room. He took her by the hand 
and lifted her up. Just as sparse is the description of what happens next. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. In Greek, the verb used is diakoneo. Generally speaking, when this word is used with a female subject, it is almost always translated as serving or waiting table, tasks often assigned to servants or slaves, or if there were none, to children or women in the household. When the word is used with a male subject, however, it has traditionally been given an entirely different meaning. All of the sudden, it means to serve as a deacon in the church. Very prim and proper, like, with seemingly no reference to taking drink orders, cooking food, or bussing tables. The translation of diaconeo depends almost entirely on the gender of the subject. The mother-in-law, then, after being healed, has traditionally been understood as to have immediately begun waiting tables. As you might imagine... This is a little hard for this feminist preacher to take. I do not want the mother-in-law's fever to break just so she can stand in front of a hot stove, even for Jesus. I do not want her to be better just so she can strip the bed, run a load of laundry, and push fresh sheets back on, even for Jesus. I do not want her to be restored to health if it is only that she can tie on her apron and ready the house for guests, even for Jesus. I want him to bring her a bowl of soup with a side of saltine crackers and tell her to rest. I want those lazy, good-for-nothing, good old boy disciples to get off their hind ends turn off the TV, and help a sister out. But as the story goes, it seems that Peter's mother-in-law is simply one more woman, no matter how sick she's been, who has to get up and take care of the men who don't have the brains to work a microwave. (laughs) But it also so happens that this story is this preacher woman's favorite kind. The Gospels are so tricky. The Gospels are often understood as if they are book jackets holding together the most important stories of how Jesus and the disciples went to Nazareth and then to Galilee and then to Jerusalem and and the things that happened in between those travels. We treat the stories in the Gospels with special care, studying and interpreting them over and over, confident that this is where our attention should focus. But, But we treat the Gospels themselves as rather unimportant, almost as if they are disposable wrapping. But what about the Gospels themselves? 
If you've taken a Bible as literature course, you might know that the Gospels can be read as parables. One of the themes in Mark's Gospel is that the disciples never get it. Bless their hearts. The parable that is the Gospel of Mark is that the chosen ones do not understand. Those who should get it don't get it. The disciples constantly misunderstand and misinterpret. They are always asking Jesus to explain himself. They need it spelled out, and then they want to think about it some more. They are confused and dismayed when Jesus tells them that his life will end, not with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but in crucifixion. From time to time, they dream of power and glory and ask who will get to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand. In their minds, the kingdom of God is going to look very much like the kingdom of Rome. And if Caesar had a right-hand man, well, Jesus would too. So they jockey for position. Their hope was that Jesus would be the mighty warrior king who would lead them in a successful rebellion against Rome, and then they could be the ones in charge. But Peter's mother-in-law is one of the first clues as to what the parable of Mark is teaching us. She is the first woman mentioned in Mark's gospel. Remember that Mark does not care about Jesus' birth, so there is no Aunt Elizabeth or Mother Mary. It is the mother-in-law who stands first in a long line of women who aid and abet Jesus. These women tell us more than the disciples do about how to be followers of Jesus. Because of the way the gospel is written, though, we, we tend to separate the mother-in-law from the whole host of women who are central to this parable disguised as a gospel. But when we name them, we begin to see that it is the women who make up the real disciples of Jesus. The key, the thing to watch for, is that word, diakoneo. Time and time again, these women are set apart by the word diakoneo. First, when Peter's mother-in-law serves. We see it again when Martha serves, creating a place for Jesus to teach and for Mary to learn. The anonymous woman who washes the feet of Jesus, you remember her. She is also said to serve, diakoneo, to serve Jesus, to minister to him. In the Gospel of Mark, while the twelve were happy to crowd around the table at the Last Supper, they fled when Jesus was taken into custody. But when the going got tough, the women showed up. The women were the last to leave the cross and the first to arrive at the tomb. The girl squad showed up to identify and care for Jesus' body, while the boy disciples locked themselves inside a house, unwilling to risk being identified as Jesus' followers. And in the 15th chapter of Mark, when the boys were arguing about who would sit at the right and left hand in glory, we see the word diakoneo again, this time in the mouth of Jesus. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must serve all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve. Diakoneo. Here, the verb serve is a mutual giving and taking, a self-surrender and mutual acceptance, an exchange of love, tenderness, help, and comfort. Diakoneo, you must serve all. If we look at those who have been doing the serving in Mark's gospel, then we see that to follow Jesus, to be a true disciple, is to wait table, to minister to, to take care of, to offer food and drink to guests, to take care of the poor and the sick, to attend to anything that meets another's interests, to provide the necessary things to sustain life. It should come as no surprise that this kind of behavior is never reported of the male disciples because they never understood what Jesus was trying to do. Perhaps you are thinking that the preacher woman is being a little rough on men, either because men deserve more credit or because equality is threatening. If it is the former, the patriarchal church has spent the last 2,000 years making men feel awesome, not to mention putting them and keeping them in charge. If it is the latter, everyone is still safe from the tyranny of women. Data from the United Nations shows that women are underrepresented at all levels of decision-making worldwide and that achieving gender parity in political life is very far off. We're certainly not there in the church. While we love the Pope, he is definitely not working towards the possibility of a woman being his replacement. And in our denomination, the United Church of Christ, while 53% of ordained clergy are female, well, the polite way we say it is that clergy women are underrepresented in senior minister positions. But here's the thing, the point of all of this is not about female superiority or male stupidity. <laughs> it is not to advocate ovaries over broveries. <laughs> matriarchy can be just as unhealthy as patriarchy. However, in the parable of Mark, the women understand things before the men do because they were the least of these, the underdogs, the ones who knew what it was to not have power. So when someone showed up to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, the women were ready. They did not need to swap one Caesar for another. They didn't need for Jesus to bring the kingdom of God if it was going to look just like the kingdom of Rome. They understood the difference between the power of the sword and the bond of love. And the good news for everyone is that women were not the only ones to get it. 
The Gospels make the male disciples out to be thick-headed, but that's because the Gospels are parables. Obviously, there were plenty of men who understood this upside-down kingdom of God that Jesus taught. The disciples have a specific role in the parable of Mark, but they do not represent all men, only those people who believe in power over peace, power over principle. These women, joined by many others, were able to keep the main thing, the main thing. We are here to serve one another. Diaconeo is the root word for our word, deacon, and one of the earliest offices of the church. From the very beginning, life in the church centered on service to God and to one another. In the early churches, both women and men served as deacons, and they were charged with tending to the spiritual life of the church, which was inextricably linked with service. They connected needs with resources, food, clothing, shelter, you name it. They connected outside needs to people who had their aprons tied on, ready to waitress for Jesus, so to speak, ready to serve. The text tells us that in the evening On the same day that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and she began to serve, the whole city gathered around the door. Of course they did. The whole city gathered around her door, the sick, the poor, the weary, because they must have had some notion that they would be cared for, ministered to. They had some idea that this was a place they would be served Which begs the question, who is showing up at our door? Who knows they can come here to be served? Is it the sick, the poor, the weary, the addicted and depressed, the outcast, the other? Do do they know that this is a place where they can find extravagant welcome, hope, healing, When those who are grieving and lost need someone to walk with them, do they know that they can show up at the church steps because we're expecting them? Come on in, friends. We have a place for you. Community and comfort are inside. When queer kids don't have a place to call home or anyone to remind them that they are loved and that they matter, do they come here? Do they know to come here for a reminder that they are fearfully and wonderfully made? Head to the nearest steeple for affirmation and assurance. Do they know it? When refugee families are dropped off in a new town surrounded by strange people with strange customs, is it a steeple that they look for? Because those those buildings with steeples, they should be filled with people who are filled with hope, not fear. Those steeple people will open their homes and hearts or At least that's what refugees should have heard. When the world is on fire, is this a place where people can find peace? Not the kind of peace where everyone just conforms and goes along to get along, but real peace. The kind created by deep listening and then doing justice, loving mercy and walking humbly with God. Is this this the place they know to come? And the whole city gathered 
around the door of Mayflower Church. Our story reminds us of what followers of Jesus are supposed to be doing. Break out the welcome mat, pull up extra chairs, put out more place settings. Around here we only serve everyone. So, who needs an apron? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.